0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to James chapter number one. James chapter number one. I was thankful, somewhat, for uh, our virtual time last week. It allowed me uh, a little bit more of an extended preaching time. <laughs> we, we do not have that this this uh, this evening, uh, and we're thankful for it, excited for our application and implementation time, and so we we want to work through our text. Uh, be faithful to it and uh, move on to our application questions at the end so uh, would you join me in a word of prayer as we ask the Lord to bless our time together Father God we just want to quiet our hearts and our minds right now Father there is so much that looms around us pain uncertainty Trial, and here we are this evening gathered as your church, your bride that you promised Jesus to deliver back to the Father, spotless. So, Father, we know that as you are faithful to your Son, your Son will be faithful to his bride, and that there will be reconciliation and restoration. So, Father, I pray even tonight that we would see a glimpse of that reconciliation, that comfort, that healing that you offer to us spiritually. Father, this side of eternity, we long for tangible healing. We long for tangible grace that we can uh, receive in our time of need. There are many situations, relationships, uh, circumstances that are going on right now, that Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would minister to, that You would give a peace uh, and a clarity, that You would fortify and strengthen our faith to walk through those times, knowing that You are a good, good Father. And whatever is before us, Father, we can trust, knowing that it is best because it is through whatever we are about to walk through that will make us like Christ, that will change us to be more like your son, conform us to him and not to this world. It is through that trial, through that difficulty, through that situation, God, let us believe that, let us trust in that, let us hope in that this evening. So Father, I pray that you would do that work in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. We're coming to bail on the mic. Uh, you got another one. Thank you, Dave. Try Let's try a second take here. Yeah, that sounds better. All right, the title of this evening's message is The Temptation During Temptation. A little play on words there. The temptation during temptation. Let me explain. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in the midst of a heavy trial a trial that has seemed to linger a trial that has turned into uh, a season days turning into weeks weeks turning into months and 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 you're there right in that trial maybe you're there right now maybe you can think back into a situation that would be similar to that and during these seasons of enduring these these trials if we are not properly tethered to this generous God of all wisdom that we alluded to last week and in, in the verses uh, that, that will precede our our passage this e- evening. If we're not properly tethered to this generous God of all wisdom, in that moment we can fall prey to our sinful desires. This is what James is warning against in our text. The the trial lingers in and we do not view that, that, that trial through the proper lens of God's grace. We don't go to this God of wisdom in prayer asking for wisdom, and therefore, instead of fixing our eyes on this promised hope that we have in Jesus Christ, we, we do what? We turn inward to ourselves, and we focus on me, myself, and I in the midst of that trial. The questions of why me now become, you know what? I deserve to gratify some of my own desires. I mean, after all, look at what I'm going through. Look at what I'm dealing with. And so we justify sin. We give in to temptation. Temptation. Our eyes, like I said before, are nowhere fixed on Jesus, but rather focused on ourself. Our sin nature, at that moment, during through that heavy season, our sin nature begins to deceive us. Once again, this age-old deceit of Satan in the garden rears its ugly head once again in our lives, and deceit, justification of our own heart, slips into our life. That deceit turns to justification. That justification turns to action. And that action, before we can even connect the dots, brings forth more sin. Isn't that how sin works? As James will describe in this passage. We have a moment of weakness. There's a temptation. We give into that. We take action on that temptation. And before we know it, it starts impacting relationships. And that one action, we have to cover up with what? A lie. And... That lie to that person becomes another lie and it it impacts another relationship. And before we know it, we are caught up into the entanglement of sin, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh and the pride of life. That sin ripples to all the corners of our life. Every nook and cranny is touched by the impact of us simply entertaining and acting out on the temptations of our own heart. In the midst of trial, our flesh becomes susceptible to becoming weak. When our flesh is weak, many times we give in to our sin nature, and this is in large part what James is gonna warn us against. So once again, James is attempting to recalibrate the thinking of his readers. He wants them to understand trials rightly through the lens of God's grace and God's sovereignty and God's purposes for trials, that these aren't meaningless and worthless and vain situations that we just have to get through, but rather God is there, he's working, and he's doing something, namely sanctifying us to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And so James is challenging our thinking. I wonder, has your thinking been challenged about trials as we've worked through this first chapter? Has your lens or perspective on trials been brought to light? James is, once again, before he moves into some other topics, he's going to attempt to recalibrate our thinking back to God's way of thinking on trials. James is readily aware that in the midst of trials and difficulties, Satan, the great deceiver, the thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and our sin nature that lingers, those two things often strike the hardest in the midst of trial, do they not? And they strike the hardest in the battleground of what? Our mind. If Satan can undermine the character of God and his purposes, he's able to strike to the very source of truth, which is what God himself. And that God, the God of all creation, is brought into question at that moment. Is that not what Satan did at the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve and in the garden? Has God really said? Questioning truth? trust? Questioning God's word? Questioning God's character and intentions and purposes? This brings us to the big idea of our text here in James chapter 1 this evening. It's this, during times of trial, God is often mistakenly accused of drawing the believer into temptation. On the contrary, God is a reliable source of grace and help in our time of need. During times of trial, James is going to warn that God is often mistakenly accused of drawing the believer in temptation, but rather James is going to challenge that type of thinking. And he's going to remind the believers of who God really is. Despite what Satan will tell us, what he will deceive us, what our own flesh will fight against to discredit God and his character and his purposes and his nature, He will remind us of who God is. He is a reliable, trustworthy source of grace and help in our time of need. So this evening, we're gonna hopefully look through three, that's our goal to get to all three, (laughs) three closing truths concerning trials. James is going to make these final remarks as we work through verses 12 through 18 this evening. So the first closing truth is this, God promises a reward for remaining faithful in the midst of life's trials. Verse number 12 of chapter one, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So alluding back to this opening remarks concerning the testing of our faith and it producing Steadfastness, what does James do? He begins to bring these truths full circle. Right? He's he's kicked it off, he's introduced trials, he's given some teaching about the purpose of trials, he's given us some action, some things to do. That what's our responsibility to go to God in prayer, the, the source of wisdom, and that he will give it to us, and he'll give it to us generously with our approach. And so then he circles back now to this, this topic of a trials, and he reminds us of the importance of this word steadfastness. Now remind us once again that God finds no pleasure in the suffering of his saints. The God of the Bible is not some mean old ogre up there in heaven with some snarky grin on his face as he finds pleasure in the suffering of, of his saints as they endure and get through trials. Friends, I'm being somewhat sensational in that description, but if we're not careful, is that not where our mind can go? We can believe this lie, our flesh, and, and Satan can, can battle against us and they can discredit the goodness and the greatness and the, the mercy and the, and the grace of God in these times of trial. God of the Bible is intimately involved in these moments. God of the Bible is intimately involved before, during, and after the trial. He is pleased and glorified in the trial as we, by his grace, remain steadfast, verse number 12 so tells us. Because why? It's in this steadfastness, as we remember back to verses two and three, it's in this steadfastness that we are becoming more Christ-like in our thoughts, actions, and emotions. It's here that James reminds us that God is for us in these trials. I think of 2 Peter chapter number 1, verses three and four. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. This is the calling and the purpose of God in our lives to become more like Him. He has called us to the knowledge, uh, to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, the Word of God, so that through them... You may be partakers of the divine nature, becoming more like Christ, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God, in his grace, has equipped us to remain steadfast in the midst of trials. God has equipped us with his very precious and great promises. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. So it's not like this mean old ogre out there in heaven, he said, ha, try this. I wonder if they can deal with that. And leaving us to flounder and figure it out and and, and suffer. This is not the God of the Bible. He's given us hope. He's given us resources. He's given us his grace, the church, the word of God, the Holy Spirit, Christian fellowship, And the list goes on. He has equipped us to remain steadfast. What does it mean to remain? Blessed is the man. There is divine favor from God for the man who remains. What does it mean to remain? This means that we are to continue in an activity or state despite resistance or opposition. There is... A stick going back to that word. There is a fortitude of our mind, right? There, there is a disposition where we are fixed on the purpose of, of God developing steadfastness. In our life, that that God is changing us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. And so, although it may be difficult and hard, although there may be great, great times of suffering and loss, it's through this process that God has ordained that I can become more like Christ and less like myself and less like the old man and less like the world sanctification being set apart to God through what? The means of trials. So if you remember with me back to last week, God simplified our responsibility in the thick of trials. Or what were we to do to simply ask God for wisdom and we were called to trust this good and generous God for wisdom and we were told that he would give it to us without reproach. So what does it look like, friends, for us to remain in the midst of trials. We are to continue in the activity that James laid out for us in verses number five and six. We are to continue to remain in the activity of seeking and knocking and searching and hoping that we are to keep on believing by God's sustaining grace that he is there. And he's doing something. He's doing something for our good and for his glory. I think of the psalmist in Psalm 73. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is what it looks like for us to remain, to continue in the activity of seeking after God in times of trial. So James calls us to remain. This is the action But then he describes how we are to remain. He says to remain steadfast. I won't stay here too long because we we went over this this word steadfastness in in a lot of detail in previous verses. But at the end of the day, he's circling back to this concept of steadfastness. I, I find that interesting. He talks about this is the purpose of trials. that God is developing this endurance, this steadfastness, this disposition, this mindset. He gives all this other teaching and then he circles back to it and he says, this man is blessed. Who is blessed? If you remain steadfast, there is a high premium on endurance. There is a high premium in this text, in James's mind and understanding of trials, for faithfulness in the midst of trials. And so friends, if there's a takeaway here about trials, if if James is going to challenge the thinking of his readers, and now as we're spending time and, and the Holy Spirit is going to challenge our thinking about trials, we have to be concerned about this idea of steadfastness. Endurance, perseverance. This is what God is doing. This is what he is pleased in. Is this grace enabled steadfastness that God seems to be so interested in? James doesn't circle back to fixing, resolving, scheming, or understanding the trial. He circles back to this idea of remaining steadfast in trials. This crown of life, this promise that's given to us in verse number 12, it's promised to the one who remains steadfast. Not for the one who comes up with the masterful plan to avoid trial, not to the one who engineers their way out of the trial, but the one who simply Remain steadfast in the trial. What does this look like? This word steadfast here in the Greek has the idea of being resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering in our faith in God, trusting and believing that He is working to make us more like His Son Jesus Christ in the midst of the trial. So, our reward as James describes it here at the end of verse number 12, is what? It's it's a crown of life. This This is great. I don't know about you, but I love rewards. And I certainly love a reward on the tail end of a very difficult season. And this is no fleeting reward. This is no temporal trophy that we get for participation this is a divinely given eternal crown of life. Amen. This is the greatest reward that we could ever think or imagine. And what James is attempting to develop here is the uh, purpose, right? And it's, it's gonna be worth it all. Right? That old hymn, when we see Jesus the suffering, the difficulty, the loss, the pain. There is a crown of life. There is a reward. Or maybe we should even say there is a destination in this journey of trials. Let's be clear. This reward, this crown is not a corruptible crown of Material that is made by the hands of man. Rather, this object that the crown is anchored in is what? It is a crown of life. I read a couple verses from 2 Corinthians 4 last week and these verses just have continued to be working through my mind. I wanna read them one more time. I think it's so applicable and helpful for us in the midst of trials to understand This perspective that Paul is is playing forward here, 2 Corinthians 4 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, doesn't always feel like that in the moment, does it? But with an eternal perspective, Setting our mind on things above, if we can, if we can have this biblical perspective, this wise perspective of trials, this this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us. There's purpose, there's value in this light, momentary affliction because it is preparing for us an eternal. That's the nature of an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, friends. Our minds cannot imagine the depths and the widths and the greatness of this this glory that is beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are unseen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal we have a crown a reward a glory That is due by way of a divine promise for whom? The end of verse twelve: those who love God. What is it? What is the reward? It is life. So, are we saying it is not death to die? My heart and flesh may fail, but God is the strength my life it is life this eternal life it can't be seen right now but you know what that's okay why because like Paul said we don't look for things that are seen because they are transient in nature they're temporal they're fleeting but rather we look to things that are unseen and those things are what they are eternal there is a crown of life. This is, friends, our reward. It is worth it. Be steadfast. Remain steadfast in the midst of life's trials. No matter what life may bring, no matter what the Lord ordains for us to walk through, there is a crown of life. There is hope. It's eternal. Eternal life is what was secured for us by Christ by way of his own very real and literal trial, a testing of his own faith. Where Christ called out there on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ remained steadfast. Christ endured the cross. He drank that bitter cup that was reserved for me. Christ made a way for us to experience this crown of life that we could never, we could never experience this on our own, but Christ did that work. So James finishes this thought of reminding us who this crown of life is for. It's for the one who remains steadfast, but it's the qualification of those who love God. I think of the Gospel of John, chapter 13, 34, and 35. Jesus is speaking here. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as how I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Crown of life is for those who love God. How do we know we love God? What is our sure hope in that if we love each other? So quickly, moving to our second closing purpose. God clarifies the source of our temptation in the midst of life's trials. Verses 13 through 15, I, I won't take the time to read it directly, but we'll just, we'll work our way through this as quick as we can. James lays out the temptation that we have during moments of temptation. Now this this word used in Greek for trials and temptation, many times they are, are used interchangeably. So there can be some confusion about what is, is going on here in regards to this passage and God tempting Uh, There's some nuances here that will allude directly to to sin. There's other passages we think when when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, part of his prayer was what? Lead us not into temptation. Uh, so, So there's some teaching that we want to think about here about who God is, his nature, who we are in our nature, and the warning that James has for us. In the midst of trial, we can and will be susceptible to the temptations of both Satan's spiritual warfare, but also the, the, the ugliness of our own flesh, that, that old man that lingers on still, this side of eternity that, man, we hope for and long for, those glorified bodies where we will be free from the pains of sin and the flesh and, and we can worship and, and serve and live for God without uh, the hindrance of, of, the, of flesh, this side of eternity. But here we have... Um, this idea that James gives us here, and most would agree that James is attempting to address the temptation that often presents itself in the midst of trials. And I don't know about you, but I found this true as I can think back on my own trials, that um, every trial in some way presents an opportunity for potential temptation. Why? Because of our flesh, we can often lash out in anger. In our finite minds, we lack wisdom and understanding. And instead of going to God the way that James prescribes here in chapter one, we look inward and and we shake a fist at God and we say, how could this be possible? Why me? We don't respond in faith. We don't trust God's sovereign plan. So God, if we'll remember our study through Genesis, is sovereign over all things and all peoples at all times. But there is one thing under the sovereignty of God that cannot be attributed to God, and that is temptation. This is exactly what James is attempting to clarify. In the midst of trial, when I don't respond rightly when I look inward and when I'm tempted to doubt the goodness and the character of God, when I'm tempted to act out on the temptations of my own heart to gratify the desires of my flesh, James is attempting to clarify the source of that temptation in the midst of life's trials. So, what does James first do? He appeals to the character and nature of God. It is impossible. For a good and holy God to entice his people to sin. Verse number 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. James gives No situation where a Christian, a believer, a Christ follower could, could justify that God has brought them to this temptation. So it appeals to the character of God, the very nature of God. He, meaning God, is sinless. And as such, it is impossible for a sinless God to incite others into a position of sin. Rather, what should our perspective be? That of Paul, Romans chapter number seven, verses 21 through 25. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do good, or excuse me, I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24, Paul says, For wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. James is tempted to do what? To clarify the source of our temptation in the midst of life's trials. So verse number 14 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. This is the law that Paul is speaking to him, him, that, that evil lies close at hand. There is in his members a a law that's waging war against the law of his mind. The law of sin dwells in my members. This is what we see here in in verse uh, 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by, not God, but by his own desire. And then there is this process. There's this progression this warning of how sin works that James is calling his readers to be mindful of. Verse 15, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Friends, it's important for us to remember in the midst of trial that there are consequences for sin us giving way to sin, us giving way for our members to act out on this law of the flesh. There is no justification. It is a dangerous thing for us to allow sin to go unchecked in our life and in our relationships. Because if it is left unchecked, it will always conceive. It will always bring us to a place of sin. And that sin can have devastating effects in our lives and those around us. There's a warning. James is clarifying the source of our temptation. He's warning us against the consequences of sin. The final aspect quickly uh, that we're gonna look at this evening is God proclaims the source. God proclaims the source of grace in the midst of life's trials. I love how James Opens up these final few verses. Do not be deceived. This is the tone that James is taking through this whole passage. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by your own wrong thinking, by your own flesh, and by this thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Brothers, don't be deceived. Think rightly about these things. So it goes on, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift It's from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I'll just make some quick comments here on this final point and then we'll we'll bring it to a close. James points out and uses this term father of lights. Father would be alluding to or pointing back to God in his role as creator of all things. Father of lights—that seems to be uh, not a term that you would often see. What is what is James using here? He's using some poetic language, right? Father of lights, uh, he says here, with the description, um, with the description of this, there is no variation or shadow due to change. So, this lights would actually be referring to like sun, moon. And stars, right? They have their time in the day. There's variation and change. Uh, different times of day, they would be visible. Other times, they would not. Uh, so he's he's pointing back to this illustration of of really lights that they would be familiar with in the sky, in the stars, in the sun, in the moon. And he's contrasting that with who God is. That there is no. Variation. There is no shadow or change with this God, right? And so every good and, and perfect thing in life isn't a, a product of our own doing. It is isn't a product of our own wisdom. It isn't uh, of our, our, our own building or creating, but rather every good thing that we have in our life comes from who? God. He is the source of all that is truly good. So he is attempting to, again, address their thinking. God is not the one who tempts, but rather he is the source of grace and help and goodness for our benefit. He is recalibrating their view of God, their understanding of God's character and who he is. This last phrase that I'll point out and we uh, will close. I love this phrase here in verse number 18 of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth, of his own will, literally because he so chose. God chose to bring us forth. This bringing forth refers to the idea of birth. It is God who divinely divinely birthed us and gave us new life in Christ by the word of truth. This work that God has done through Christ should cause us to to desire a relationship with God, to to desire that glorified state with God in, in heaven, that hope that we have, that crown of life. It is God that has done that by his own will. Friends, if he has saved us, if he has made a way over death and sin, we certainly can trust him in today's trials. He's anchoring his readers, the church, Christians who are suffering and being persecuted and going through all these trials. If we can trust God for our eternal state, can we not trust him for today? For the grace that we need to walk the road Friends, would you join me in prayer as we close the transition to our AI time? Father God, I just thank you for this evening. I pray that there's somebody here that is continuing to wrestle with trials and difficulty understanding understand and write through a difficult perspective. I pray that you would use your word right here in James to change our thinking on trials. And Father, you even uh, as we work through this somewhat in a, in a quick manner, I pray that we would even meditate on these verses tonight and this week, and that we would continue to look for the opportunity, the unlikely opportunity of trials. And that if we're in the midst of trial, temptations knocking on our door, through the sinful desires of the heart, and spiritual warfare, Father, I pray that you would uh, remind us that you are a God of grace, and you've given us that witness. We trust you fully in the days ahead. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.